Welcome to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. This is Scott, and on this episode, I talk with a great friend of mine, Eric LeClaire. This is a, it's a really great story. It's a sad story with a great ending, but I think that there's a lesson in here that men need to hear about how supporting your wife through extremely tough times looks, what it doesn't look like, um, how to endure, how to be prepared, and um, th this story is a story of um, persistence and faith uh, and um, a building of a very strong marriage through very difficult times. I think you're really going to enjoy what Eric has to say. And uh, dig in, boys. This is a good one. Dude, thanks so much for being on the uh, podcast. I've been, you know, I have been uh, trying to get you on for a while. Yeah, man. Talk about life and work and the schedule. Yeah, I mean, every time things slowed down, I would reach out and we'd, we'd connect. And then all of a sudden things would speed up and then it would slow down and life, man. Yeah. Talk it's, about 2020 is, is nuts for everyone. Oh, absolutely. Well, quite honestly, um, watching kind of from a distance and seeing what your life has been like, I would say you've added like your own personal extra spice to the craziness of 2020. <laughs> I mean, you sold a house. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know there's more involved right now. You're, you're in a temporary living situation. You guys are going to relocate, man. How, how yeah. has that affected like pour all this other 2020 craziness? Like, yeah. Walk us through that a little bit, man. We probably should go backwards a little bit. Cause I, I still feel significantly, um, you know, indebted to the, not only selling the house, but I, I just sold the gym, you know, and yeah, I sold the that's gym. Right. I that's sold right. the gym. I want to say like a hundred days before COVID struck, you know? And so it was like, I sold it to a great friend, you know, our, basically our general manager slash, you know, one of our, our leading coaches, he'd been there for almost six years. Uh, and it took us the better part of like two years to really wind up that sale and get him ready to rock and roll. And, you know, it, it's like, uh, it's like you're taking the training wheels off and you're excited to watch your kid fly on the bike. And, and, you know, around the corner is a freaking, is a ramp. You have, you had no clue was there and there he goes, you take the training wheels off and he was hauling butt and all of a sudden COVID shuts him down. So, you know, March, April, May, June, now July, uh, for those that are listening, we're in Southern California. So obviously California is, uh, is getting hammered by its second round of closures. But that first round of closure, uh, it was like deer in the headlights for so many gym owners. And for Aaron, the young man that I sold the gym to, um, I, I de definitely did not want to see him fail. So, um, you know, bigger picture, let's zoom out a little bit. Bigger picture was that my wife and I had made a decision that we were going to uh, leave the state. And uh, we had to kind of offload all of our responsibilities and um, you know, things that were basically keeping us here. And so of course the business being number one and the house being number two. Uh, so the business went first and, um, like I said, that took it, that took a chunk of time because we had to filter for the right buyer. And, you know, Aaron materialized, um, he materialized truly because the, the individuals that we were looking at first, believe it or not, they failed a pretty hardcore integrity test. And if I'm going to sell you something, and I don't even care what it is, I'm going to sell you something, and I realize on the back end your reasoning for purchase or your reasoning to buy uh, is pretty shitty, then like you're you're not going to get my hard earned community. Um, and so Aaron won on the integrity side. He won. He has a heart of gold. Um, and like anyone else, I mean, you can be taught how to do systems and processes, and that was not a problem. That wasn't 
that wasn't the issue. The issue was that um, he was the right man for the call, you know, and, and the clientele trusted him and they knew him and there was a developed level of care and camaraderie. So, I mean, it just made sense. So anyway, so we offloaded the gym and uh, transition. I had my first Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas and New Year's, not being a gym owner, but it was immediately overshadowed by we had our daughter on uh, November 27th. And so I, I went from gym owner, I think I had two weeks of not having a role or responsibility, and then all of a sudden, boom, uh, delivery. So uh, nothing slowed down. It was. I was thinking to myself, like, when am I going to take a vacation? Am I going to am I going to, am I going to go snowboarding? Are we going to get out of the state? Maybe maybe we go up to Tahoe, or are we going to get out? Nope, nope. We're doing nothing. We are right yeah. on ha- having a brand new baby. Yeah. So so let's let's step back because I definitely want to yeah. talk about baby stuff. But yeah, selling a business to a friend, someone you care about. Yeah. You said it's like jumping off a ramp, dude. No, it's like. <laughs> jumping off a, or falling off a cliff you didn't know falling. was there yeah like hitting branches and trees and shrubs all the way down yeah and, yep. yeah so uh personal i bet you i mean the emotions of you know like this this business where you had all these numbers flowing and you know this is how much revenue yep. this can bring in this is what happens this is how it all works and then it goes yep. boom to zero like probably yeah. went to close to zero so wow i, I don't even know yeah what to say about that other than you know, that, that sucks. I'll, well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it wasn't as hard emotionally as I thought it was going to be because it was one of those things where like, Hey, never do business with your family or never do business with your friends. I mean, yes, Aaron was a friend. He, he, he grew to be a great friend, uh, through the process, but we kept it objective. Yeah. We literally, we kept, we had to keep it objective with all parties involved. Because obviously, when you start planning something like this, everyone involved signed NDAs because there was no way we could let anything leak out to the clientele. And again, for those that are listening that may have owned a gym or sold a business, that there was a service, a contractual service provided. If anything leaked out, it would it could have led to mass exodus, which would then have taken the asset again to zero. Uh, and then, what would the sellable thing be like? I have uh, 10 medicine balls. You want to buy 10 medicine balls? You know, it's like, um, you know, so, um, everyone signed NDAs, even the, even the players that didn't materialize as real buyers. Uh, and also for the players that didn't materialize as financial assistance, mm-hmm. uh, cause you know, obviously Aaron took a, took on a backer. Um, and we interviewed multiple parties. I mean, cause here's the thing. People always tell you they want to throw money behind you until it's time to throw money behind you. Yeah. Uh, so anyone who had said in the, you know, in the previous, I don't know, 15, 16 years, Hey man, um, if you ever want to grow or if you ever want to, you know, double down and build a second build it, you know, whatever it is, I got a million dollars, you know, well, you remember those conversations. And then when I called all those people like, Hey, where's your million bucks? <laughs> and they were like, Oh shit, man, I'm going through a divorce and I got yeah. this wife and I got these kids and I can't, I got, I just bought a boat, you know? And so it's like, Oh, my cash is tied up. So I'm like, all right. You know, so we kind of had to flirt very cautiously. Uh, we, we would say cautiously optimistic. We had to flirt very, um, you know, very cautiously on who we were bringing close to the deal and explain, like, at what level we were going to explain to them their involvement. And you know, luckily it worked. And the individuals that were interested in, you know, being part of the whole deal, 
they they were businessmen themselves, one in finance and you know one in a different industry. And they you know they signed the NDAs and they were like, this is normal, this is business as usual practice. Uh, you know, we will hold you accountable for the same level of confidentiality as you as an expectation of us. So it really worked out. And to, between Aaron and I, I mean, and you can ask him. I'm you know him obviously through Level Method, but you know you. Um, I held him very accountable, like feet to the fire every day. There was work to be done. There was, you know, documentation. There was order of organization. There were, you know, spreadsheets and flowcharts and like, you know, timelines. And there were moments, there were a, tr- I would say there's probably three moments in particular where I went home at night and I would tell my wife over dinner, this is not going to work. Yeah. It's, it's not going to, it's not going to work. Um, it's going to fall apart at the last minute or it's going to fall apart with funding or it's going to fall apart with the city. Cause you know, not only do we have to transfer over business entities and titles and bank accounts and you know, all the, I mean, we had to, the biggest thing was we have to work through the lease negotiations oh, yeah. uh, with the landowner. And so if the landowner was like, no way it, it would have just, you know, so it could have fallen apart. It was many, many, many moving parts that it, it, at any given time could have fallen apart. But we, we, you know, we painted a big picture. We had an organizational flow chart on timing, the who and the what and the where. Like we had to go talk to the city. We had to talk to insurance. We had to talk to, you know, obviously we were a CrossFit affiliate. So we had to have a dialogue around the affiliation process. And do, do you sell it? Do you keep it? Do you retain it? You know, obviously Aaron chose not to affiliate. And so he's a classic micro gym of his own accord, his own brand, you know, and so on. But uh, so we had to have all these conversations with all these other people that oftentimes you're like, oh, I'm just going to sell my, I'm going to sell my business. It's not one transaction, human to human. There's like, there's probably like 25 other people involved in part of that decision. It's crazy. Um, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. You may not know this, but I owned a business, uh, a, a bicycle shop. And so I owned that business and was teaching full time and actually decided to uh, sell that business just to get my family time back. That's uh, kind of a precipice of where the um, the origins of the fatherhood, brotherhood of fatherhood come from. But, and went through this entire process, just like you're talking about and lost the sale in the 11th hour. Oh, and, dude. and so I totally understand and, and basically decided to shut down and take on the, the massive debt load. And then I went in again in 2016 or 15 selling my CrossFit gym and same thing, except for the sale went through. But unlike you, I hightailed it out of there and never looked back, never talked to the person again. It's all on their shoulders. Like, you know, wow. it's like, here you go. Here's your business. Everything's just set. You know, there was a process in place. But yeah, it's not just, hey, here's money. Here's your money. Hey, here's the Goodbye. key. Yeah. Goodbye. That's yeah. not how no it works. Way. And so no way. The, the emotional, um, the, the emotions of that, you are married and have a daughter. And correct. how long have you been married? We're coming up on seven years. This October will be seven years. Okay. And how long did you own the gym? Uh, we officially affiliated in 2006. So you've owned it um, longer than you've been married for, yeah, correct. Yep. Yeah. So married, married to the gym longer than married to my wife. Correct. Yeah. Well, my whole point is, is that your entire life, cause I'm sure your wife was involved in that as well. Your entire life, everything you knew about it was going away. Right. hundred yeah. percent. Okay. So hundred percent. And, and very much so like you would think, I mean, uh, we we look back and go there were there were wonderful and amazing times and wonderful people and amazing people amazing re- relationships and experiences and camaraderie like culture community all this all the all the hot hot buzzwords but man there were some shitty moments yeah. and there was just some horrible experiences and i mean and i'm not talking about like i mean in the last probably 2 years uh we got broken into like four or five times including 
one of my coaches got her car jacked from the parking lot. You know, yeah. so I'm I'm home literally cooking dinner with my wife. It's like six, it's like six fifteen. I, in the back of my mind, I know the last class is getting ready to go down, and the coaches don't call me ever. They they're so good. They don't call me ever unless there's a real emergency. So when the coach that was supposed to be teaching that night calls my phone, I know there's something wrong. I thought, holy shit, someone got hurt. Somebody had a heart attack. You know, whatever. I answer the phone and she's crying, crying, crying. I'm like, what, what, so calm down, talk to me, what happened? And she goes, some dude rolled into the front door, inquired about CrossFit. She said, let me get a clipboard real quick. I, I need to make some notes. And as she turned around, he swiped her keys off the counter, ran out the front door, jumped in her truck and took off over the curb. I mean, <laughs> it, it happened, it happened in like 40 seconds. Yeah. And uh, it, he's gone the long story was he actually had burglarized the neighborhood around the corner and he was pushing a shopping cart full of stolen items. I'm talking backpacks, laptops, iPhones, uh, bottles of liquor, a bunch of other crap, like checkbooks and back, like anything he could have quickly swiped from the, it's, it's a giant apartment complex. He had broken into like four apartments and he added in a shopping cart. And as he approached our parking lot, he saw her truck parked. He dumped all of his stuff into the back of the truck and then went inside. Wow. And so we've got it. We have him on camera walking into the gym, rolling in. He's got his shirt off, which is interesting. And it's, he's wearing his t-shirt over his head, not like a mask, but more like a, like just on his head. And he rolls in and like a freaking, uh, he starts, he, it's so funny to watch the film back because as soon as he gets onto our turf, he starts literally our turf, our, our green turf. He starts stretching. <laughs> We're like, does this guy think he's trying to hide his way? Oh that we don't recognize he's not part of the 6 p.m. class, but he's like touching his toes and stretching his arms over his head, looking around, scoping out the scene. And he stays there for like a minute, checking out the space. And he obviously identifies the coach. So walks over. There's this major computer area where people will put their phones and their keys and their wallet, you know, wherever. And he knew right where to go. So he just kind of like stood there. And as she turns her back, he swipes a set of keys. And it literally just happened to be her set of keys that he just put all of his shit in the back of her truck. And so he kind of puts the keys under his t-shirt that he just took off his head. He's like, I guess I, I'll see you later. I'll think about it. He walks out the front door and starts jamming off, jumps in wow. the truck and goes. <laughs> I, I, I've watched, um, so the, our listeners don't know, like I, I kind of feel like Eric and I have a unique relationship. Now, my question is, is it unique or is this the <laughs> way? Is like, and, and maybe it's the Scott way too. We have never met in person. Like I've known no. you for over two years, and I can call you and feel like I could dump on you anything that's oh, going on. And we have, dude. I yeah. think I, I think I've called you at like your time, ten o'clock at night. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we have this relationship that's, it, in my opinion, is pretty unique. And I'm watching this unfold on Facebook as yeah. I know you, and I'm like, yep. okay. And this is pr prior to COVID, prior to you selling your gym and you like had a break-in then you had this this truck story and then i think you had another break-in and oh yeah uh, if anybody decides to follow you um on on any <laughs> of your things you're you're a storyteller like you, you have these these uh you know posts that have a lot of text and there's a lot of a lot of really great information in there but i was like this story was unfolding I'm like and i knew some other things about your life too i'm like either this is like the most unlucky person i've ever met <laughs> Or, or California is horrible. And I was like, well, um, you know, I think it's, I, I think it's 50, 50, you know, it, 
it's interesting you say that second part because where our facility was located, uh, when we signed that lease back in 2012, we got a steal of a deal on the square footage rate because the gold mine, which is a you know our 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 train system, we knew that was going to be the um, the drop point. So the Monrovia train station was basically going to be in our backyard. So we took the gamble, thinking that it would be a fantastic like avenue for marketing and advertising because we'd be facing a platform that have would have a few hundred to a few thousand people a day walking in front of our gym basically we didn't even think for a second that it would bring the increase in crime vandalism crime homelessness drug use uh, physical altercations verbal altercations and unfortunately the amount of uh, you know, for better or for worse, um, you know, psychologically handicapped, mentally handicapped clients. I mean, we have a lot of sick people in LA and they're obviously, it's a problem. And as, as compassionate and as, you know, empathetic as we are, you can only fix so much of it. And, uh, sadly, and unfortunately, a lot of that was literally dropped to our, you know, to our doorstep. Yeah, that's rough. I owned a bike shop in a small town in Oregon that was right along I-5. And it was, yeah. it was a kind of a nice little mecca for homeless people and addicted. Yep. And um, yep. the town, the city put a bus stop <laughs> right, yep. a, right across the entry of my, my bike shop. You know, I was on the yep. corner downtown, beautiful location, and boom, they dropped. In, it, from zero to 90 miles per hour, we went from walk-in thefts, uh, drunk yep. uh, influence, yep. people sleeping, you know, crapping all oh. over the place. Yeah, uh, smashing windows and stealing bikes, what riding yep. bikes at, away, and and so um, who would have known that you know that? <laughs> yeah, no way, no and, way. I mean, yeah, we just I, I I would have coaches call me saying, hey, there's guys. So one coach would go in early Sunday morning, and she would do her programming, and she'd write her nutrition and whatever. And sometimes she'd stay late Saturday nights, so she wouldn't have to come in on Sundays. And so she she had text me today, listen, I'm going to be at the gym late on Saturday night in case you get the alarm, the lights are on or, you know, or whatever. And so then she texts me and she's like, dude, there's guys out front smashing the planter pots and peeing on the glass. Oh my God. And I'm like, you know what? Just, uh, be aware. Like if he starts moving towards the door and wants to break the glass to the door, uh, we had our front window shot in. And when you look at the, when you look at the video, uh, some dudes rolled by at about two o'clock in the morning in a white truck and an arm presents itself out the passenger window and you see a flash and then boom our whole front window explodes in big plate glass window so that, oh, just that shooting, window was shot out shooting just shooting out. Just, no, no big deal shoot, yeah no big deal and what was even in more interesting is we sit on a corner and so not only did they shoot the window out but they banged a u-turn at the corner and drove by on the opposite side of the street very slowly probably watching for the response yeah. like is there an, is there an alarm is there lights is you know the whatever so i mean so yeah, so you know, Vandal. My wife and I go in there sometimes, or we went in there sometimes on Sundays to do the books. And it was raining once. I think I told you this. It was raining one Sunday, and I go out in the backyard and dump the trash. And I find a dude with those big tractor tires in the backyard. I find a dude passed out, completely drunk, in the rain, in my tires, with forty ounce bottles all over the place, and he's trying to cover his head with cardboard. So I walk over and I'm like investigating the scene. Like, is the scene safe? Are there weapons around? You know, whatever. And nothing. He's just like sleeping in my tires so i'm like hey man i kind of like poke his foot he's like oh hey hi hi and mind you we're standing in the rain and i said are are you okay are you what do you need help what's what's going on he's like oh no i'm just you know uh i just i um i was in your trash cans looking for cardboard and i said okay well did you just decide that you're gonna take a nap here and he's like i don't remember <laughs> so okay well I, it's okay well you have to leave you can't continue sleeping in my tires and drinking and 
because he had obviously you know defecated and urinated all you know all over the place and it was oh, wonderful li- literally right there where people do you know squats and lunges i said i got a hope like it's just disgusting now right and um but i guess the the best ever i mean i shouldn't say the best ever but the best one that i remember um I always would try, I would, I would teach the coaches. If you're, if you're coaching an early class, you got to get there early. You got to, you know, do a little scene safety. You got to look around, make sure there's you know nothing nuts going on. And so I, I opened up the gym one early Saturday morning. And as I approached the back door, I recognized that there are some bloody handprints and some bloody footprints, like boot prints on the door. So I followed the blood and our window had been smashed open. And clearly someone decided that they were going to try and wiggle their way through the broken glass window and clearly lacerated themselves because there was blood down the window blood down the wall, blood down the dumpster that he used to climb into the facility, and then bloody handprints and bloody footprints walking all the way across our yard, bloody handprints up the next wall, and then blood droplets and footprints all the way to that train station. So when Monrovia PD shows up, they just literally follow the blood trail to the train yard and then use the timestamps on the videos to identify who it was. So they were able to track down like literally what train he got on. They found the train full of blood on the seat and blood. I mean, Imagine if you were taking your wife out for breakfast on a Saturday morning and you look across and the dude sitting across from you is like covered in blood. You'd be like, uh, what, what, what just happened right <laughs> yeah. now? Where are you coming from? Yeah. So as, you know, as our 7 a.m. clients are rolling in, they're like, Monrovia PD's there, the canine unit's there, we got blood all over the place. They're like, so it got to the point where I was like, dude, this is just not a safe place to be operating this kind of, I mean, I got kids hanging out there. We got women hang, all women's programs going on there. We even had got to a point where a handful of our clientele was like, look, we're not going outside at night to go run the 400s or the 800s. We just don't feel comfortable. So, yeah. So that sucked, you know. Yeah, it does. You are, uh, um, I've noticed that, you know, and, and I'm quite enamored by it, but you're, you're all about being prepared. You, um, you, yep. I, I know you carry emergency kits with you. I know you have EDC, everyday yep. carry. Yep. Um, yep. I know that you are, uh, Locked and loaded <laughs> yep. most of the time. So where 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 was that birthed? I mean, I know you are 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 very. I'd like those people. Like if they had any clue who you were, I mean, that was a really ridiculous target. <laughs> if they so, knew who you were, they probably would have been right. like, "This is not nope. where I'm going." But where does that come from? So, man, if, so I I enlisted in the army in '95, but even before that, I could tell you that I had a really I had a really fantastic upbringing in scouting, in Boy Scouts. Oh. And I, I had a tremendous, I, so I, from fourth grade through my entire, I stayed all the way through high school, uh, until graduation of high school, I had some great scout masters that were always challenging us to think about what we were doing, where we were going, and how to be prepared. And, and I mean, obviously, be prepared is the you know, scouting motto, motto, but at the same yeah. time, yeah, you think to yourself, like, how many different situations does that present itself where you need to be ready? Um, you know, and so we would have a summer trip each year, and it would alternate between Cherry Valley, which is Camp Cherry Valley over on Catalina Island, and then the opposing summer, so the next summer, would be a 50-miler through the Sierras, ending with summiting Whitney. And so fourth grade, we did Whitney. Fifth grade, we did Cherry Valley sixth grade we did Whitney so I just go back and forth and back and forth and we did that all the way through I graduated and to be honest with you those scoutmasters although they were you know men they were dads of our church because that was true point 10 was attached to St. Rita's in the city of Sierra Madre um man they were like my first squad leaders they were like my first platoon sergeants that were these like I look back now and they were only in their 30s but when you're 14 
thirties are so old, you know, those are the old guys. And they, you know, one in particular, Roger Devaney was always challenging us to think about where we were going, what we were doing and how to be ready, not just for ourselves, but more importantly for those that we cared for and those that we were around. I mean, and obviously that kind of a theme transitioned through from 95 all the way to, by the time I got out, it was like 2006 officially. Um, and then that just improved, right? I mean, cause that's really the idea. One of the, one of the, the themes with which I would, I would like to kind of believe helped kind of mold that is that we're responsible, um, to care for and to be able to provide in case of a scenario need, like what good are you if you can't help someone else? You know I mean? And that's yeah. echoed by even some of the people that I hang out with today, former mill guys, uh, even non-mill guys, but former mill LEO, you know, I, I spent a little bit of time with the search and rescue team and it's, you know, always of our own accord to go out and ensure that wherever in the wilderness, someone needs help. Let's yeah. be there. Yeah. You know, and that was, to be honest with you that I, man, I, I just remembered. I mean, I, just, I literally, as we're walking around having a conversation today, I just remembered back to, um, you know, my, my first search with that team, um, there was a cancer patient who had, and this is so Sierra search and rescue is a volunteer search and rescue unit. That's a non-deputized unit here in Southern California. Most, if not all search and rescue teams are MRA certified. So mountain rescue association certified, but they're all deputized agents of the local, whatever the County Sheriff's department is. So Sierra Madre is non-deputized. It means they don't carry weapons. They don't have a badge. They don't have arrest and control powers. They're a true search and rescue only unit. I think maybe even the only one in the entire state, but I, I could be, I could be incorrect. So in joining their probationary team, they, you know, halfway through probation, you start going out on real calls. And so part of those real calls is all of LA County. And so one of my first calls had nothing to do with the mountains at all. It was uh, the LA river system, the LA river, which, which there's no real river. It's basically right. a giant concrete thing. Yeah. Um, they have massive homeless encampments that are all over that river system. Under, you know, in tunnels, in in uh, storm drains, uh, freeway on ramps, freeway off ramps, um, crisscrossing train tracks, like trestles, like so. These folks have, you know, built these massive encampments. Well, there was a hospital patient on an adjacent highway um, off ramp that had gone missing, and so he'd gone missing. And obviously, the nursing staff and the doc staff was like, "Ah, shit, we lost the patient. They're gone. They're no longer on the hospital grounds." And so, however, it got to to the team, Hey, we need to go search the river system. So we drove down there and we got out in, you know, teams of four. And then we broke down into teams of two and started on foot with the helicopter asset patrolling that LA river basin up and down and all over the place. And, you know, sadly come to find out, we found the dude expired off the side of the freeway. He had died, um, like a day later. So they recovered the body, but I was thinking to myself like, man, what a, you know, how could that have been prevented? How could someone have been there for him? Like who, who wasn't paying attention when the dude got up from the hospital and walked himself out and then died on the freeway, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, I mean that, yeah. And that's really that, that readiness is not just, and I, you know, we, we aren't what we do, but we are what we think. And so that always, so now the, obviously the hashtag for uh, the company is always be physically ready. Um, and that's just because I've been in the training vein for so long. Like we should be competent and capable to do the things we need to do in case we have to save somebody's life or, you know, God forbid, do the hard stuff, but also go and enjoy life. Yeah. You know, like I, t today I want to be able to go and play volleyball or today I want to be able to take my kid hiking or today I want to be able to go 
and ride a bike for, you know, 12 miles, or I want to drop into a CrossFit or do a class. I want to be able to deadlift. I want to be able to go do the things that I enjoy and use my body. Um, quick tangent, my grandma died, uh, last Thursday and she had fallen the week previous. And the woman who was responsible for caring for her had to leave her on the floor for 45 minutes till my dad got home because she couldn't pick her up. And I'm like, my, wow. how are how are you supposed to be caring for someone, particularly a 91 year old woman who probably isn't more than 80 pounds to begin with? Right. Um, how can you you can't pick her up? She couldn't pick her up, and my grandma was more um, just like probably embarrassed than anything else. Right. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry about that, man. So I, uh, I did not get, I, I did, I did scouts for like a year, you know, like Weeblos or whatever. Um, right. and, um, I had an amazing parental, my parents were amazing. I had a great upgrade upbringing, but preparedness was, you know, my dad was thrifty. He was, he was, you know, he was a business owner, but that was something I didn't learn until later in life. And like last year, it's crazy. I put together this pack for each of my cars. Yep. And I always have carried stuff around, but I got really specific. I, I need to have a an emergency pack for uh, medical scenarios, all medical scenarios. Yep. I need to be prepared. So I, I put something together. Yep. I bought bags. I put them in each car. Then I'm like, yep. okay. And then mechanical, basic mechanic. Basic mechanic. Yeah. And um, I'm like, okay. And I was like, man, this is taking up so much space in my car. One day my wife calls me. She's like, I just had a massive blowout. This, and the whole thing uh, happened so fast. I was able to jump in my car, get there and have her back and running and not have to chase anything down. It was so poetic. It was like, yeah. I mean, this was like a week after I finished this and, and, and it was a really, really good lesson for me. It's like it, never again do you, because the time it took to put that stuff together was so minimal to the stress and um, inefficiency that would have occurred had I not done it ahead of time. I would have had to right. dig through all my tools, find a good pair right. of gloves. Um, it was, and if it, yeah, if it was at nighttime, find the headlamp. Or exactly. Ab absolutely. Yep. So I, I've, I've really respected, I kind of watched that stuff that you do and I've really respected that. And I realized, okay, that's definitely a military background, but I didn't think of the, uh, the scouting background. That's really good to hear since there's been so much negativity around that organization, but I know it saved tons of lives. Lots oh, of for sure. For sure. For yeah. sure. And I mean, I think that for just even, even if you never, ever had to use what you packed, you can rest assured that at least it's there. The yeah. next step beyond that, though, and this is what I will challenge the listeners to do is if, you know, they're encouraged by our conversation to go out and like start to build like readiness, simple mobility style readiness things is you got to train with it. That's you know, so you've true. got to, you've got, so you can pack the pack. And you could put it in the back of the truck or the suburban or whatever it is, but if you know one or two years down the road, the batteries are dead. You're now fumbling around in the dark. Where did I put the headlamp? Shit, it's not where I thought I put it. Now one glove is in the street, one glove is down the ravine. <laughs> I just dropped my you know, like whatever. So it's kind of like um, for the guys that are always like on a, on a on a rescue ambulance or on you know on, on the fire trucks and the ladder, like all of it. They're constantly drilling. And it's, I was identical to, I mean, this is actually a cool, uh, cool parallel to the search and rescue community. We were, were responsible for two Suburbans uh, and then a couple of different like technical trucks or like they had different setups, different um, cabins and bins and like arrangements for where they would store equipment. And you had to be able to, on a diagram, draw where certain items were always stowed. And then in a, um, in a call out, 
you know, go get this, go get that, go get this, go get that. And oh, by the way, return it to the right place because the next guy is going to need it or the next girl's going to need it. And it needs to be in the right place. Life or death. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, in search and rescue, it's interesting because it seems like it, search and rescue sounds and feels like it's something that should have gone by the wayside because it's a slow response. But in searching for either a lost human or uh, an injured an injured person, an overdue hiker, you know, interestingly and, and weird caveat, also individuals who committed suicide out in the wilderness, you got to search for the body. So it's a very slow process of cordoning off different locations, like on a on a map. You look at certain maps and like you say, okay, these grids are where we're going to be searching today. Then you're out on foot. You may have canine asset or you may have helicopter asset, which of course helps to speed things up. But if you're reduced to just you and your guys on, on your feet and you need something from the truck and it's not there, you are now asked out and you're already in the field. Yeah. Like yeah. You, do, you don't have it. You've, for, you've either forgotten it or someone didn't put it back. It's not functional. It's not working. The batteries are dead, you know, whatever. So um, everything has a place. Absolutely. And I've, I've, uh, recently, recently being six, seven, eight months, gotten into, have gotten into rucking. And, and one of the first things I did when I got my pack was I put in also a medical bag, uh, lights, you know, um, uh, I put in different types of knives and, you know, all these things, these things that, the, and it's like, I carry those things around everywhere. Have I ever had to use them? Absolutely not. But I'm right. out rucking. I'm, I'm, I'm prepared and I'm actually, I love rucking and I would encourage everyone to do it because you're carrying extra weight. It's, if you don't know what rucking is, it's hiking or walking or whatever, yep. and you're carrying a weighted pack. And right. people, people ask me, well, where do you ruck? You live in the, you know, the suburbs. I'm like, I just go, I just go around. I, yeah, I, yeah, it, I don't have to have wilderness. There's, uh, you know, and I found some really fun things, but I would encourage men also on the, on the level of fitness. It's a really great way to work out, but it's also a really great way to practice those skills of always being prepared for anything and what it takes right. to carry. It's so important. Yeah. Um, so do you feel like, I mean, you're a fresh dad and, and we're going to kind of di dive into that, but do you feel like all of these things with preparedness, owning a business, you know, they're not, necessarily education or training of raising a human right so have right. you felt that transition like you know uh do you feel Man. like it's been beneficial let me tell you if, if it wasn't me on the podcast today you would be fully enamored by my wife talk about readiness she lives in that i'm gonna learn i'm gonna read i'm gonna research yeah, mine too. Um, yeah. We probably spent, well, not we, I shouldn't say we, I'm going to say, I'm going to take zero credit for this. She spent the entire pregnancy of our surrogate, which I'm, we'll get to in a second. When we spent the entire pregnancy of our surrogate, she lived online reading and researching and preparing. I mean, everything yep. from, from baby led weaning to sleep training to, you know, best and worst classes of pack and plays and freaking boppies and cribs and clothing items. And what's the, I mean, we're in cloth diapers and I love it by the way. So any dads that were out there struggling with it, like we found a real easy way to do it. Like the products are pretty easy, you know, and, and I, and I will give full credit to our community at our gym, like lovingly and very care from, from a very like caring standpoint, our baby shower was amazing. And we were supported with the most awe inspiring gifts. And literally my wife and our kid were showered with amazing things. We were, we were literally set up for life. Um, you know, and so, 
So she is as much ready and willing to learn. Of course, the more you learn, the better able you're able, the better you are able to pivot when something comes up that you're not ready for, you know? And so I will say two things. One, taking Kara babies. So T-A-K-I-N-G and then Kara, the name C-A-R-A babies, taking Kara babies. Uh, the infant sleep course was the most amazing and challenging course ever, but it was delivered on a platform. It's, I think it's just delivered on one of the regular, um, you know, like uh, module based class, right. uh, classes. It's phenomenal. Literally our daughter was sleeping over the night by week 12. She's slept through the night ever since no issues whatsoever. Uh, and so what we learned from a neurological and physiological sleep perspective, probably saved marriage, but at the same time really helped us understand sleep clustering. Uh, prioritizing certain sleep over other sleep. And what that did is that provided us the opportunity to um, invest in where she needed to, the time to learn how to sleep well so we could also sleep well. That's um, so that's one of the biggest mind, things. Mind-blowing. Yeah, no, uh, my wife did all the research for that. And um, I've, I've done, and I, I know this is a big topic for men, uh, fathers and, and new, new parents. So I do want to kind of dive into this. My wife did the I don't even remember the name of it, but it's a very popular book and really studied it, really delved into it. And it was, it was almost horrifying for me to watch her be so regiment and scheduled and, um, and, and, but then three months in both of our boys were sleeping through the night and on an absolute schedule. And our sanity was right back in line. It was like, you, if you don't have sleep, you make really stupid decisions. And I was talking with uh, Brian Bender. His podcast has already been uh, released, but he he was talking about how amazing that was too. So um, it's yeah. it's huge. And I'll share. You know, if you want it for the notes later on, if you want to drop it into the podcast later, I'd be happy to to share with you that. You should. Yes, that, do uh, that info. And then part two to that is we were uh, we were gifted another course from another client, another family uh, on baby led weaning. And that was amazing and still is amazing. I mean, Eleanor will be eight months in a week and she's already eating with no teeth. Mind you, she's, I think she's starting to teeth here shortly. I mean, I can see it, but she has no teeth. Um, she's eating full foods. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, and, and so that started with uh, like no purees, no baby food. We wow. went to re- real food right away and it was liquids to, so it went from like things like, soups and mashes to then um you know strips of food like strips of string cheese or strips of ground beef or strips of chicken Hmm. or mashed up raspberry blueberry we literally and it's funny because we paired things together that you would never pair in any recipe that you or i would eat but we had like shrimp and bananas and he (laughs) loved it um but interestingly enough, there's a significant portion of the book that addresses food allergens and when to introduce allergens to identify if the kids, of course, have any allergic reactions or sensitivities and so on. And I mean, I think there's like eight, six or eight, I can't remember now, there's six food specific, um, like the pattern with which you introduce them. So shellfish and fin fish, peanuts and, you know, soy and egg and dairy, you know, whatever. So, you know, we introduced it very, very early. And so nothing. Absolutely nothing. So we keep that in rotation. Oh, wheat. Uh, so we keep that in rotation and identify yeah. any any reactions. And so far, it's been fantastic. So I mean, breakfast this morning was eggs, raspberries, uh, and peanut butter mashed on toast. And that's she's awesome. eight months. You know, that's, so I, that's awesome. I, I'm I'm happy with that. I'm I feel as though that's normal. I talk to other parents. They're like, what? 
our kid is still sucking on baby food in a, in, in a, on a spoon and they're eating burgers and avocados. And I said, yep, <laughs> yeah, she is. Yeah. She's, that's, that's pretty incredible. So, uh, you, you mentioned surrogacy and I think it would be a yeah. disservice to not touch on that because yeah. when I first, uh, not even met you, I think the first time I talked to you, I was actually in California and I hadn't even met you. I've never met, seen you in person, but we were chatting or I was talking with, uh, our, the two guys that introduced us, Nathan and Sean, and, um, they were, this was going on at that time. That was two years yeah. ago, over two years ago. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. so this is a yeah. long journey. Yeah, and and I definitely want to provide it. I, I want to provide the context so the listeners can understand this because I'm going to assume, and hopefully I'm assuming correctly, that there are other men out there that have had to stand by their wife or their you know their significant other at the time and watch them crumble under the, the this kind of pressure. So we're coming up on seven years married, but we're coming up on eight years of trying to have a kid, and um. You know, we lost a lot of kids along the way. Eleanor's Eleanor is like our ninth attempt at having a child that didn't wow. either die in either die in pregnancy or die in miscarriage or die in ectopic. I mean, like, and I say die like I'm not just going to say that word because I want to make it sound like it's horrible. Like it's just fucking horrible. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we went down the normal road back up the you know back up the train seven eight years ago, and we went down the road of like we're getting married, we want to start a family. I'm you know I'll be forty three, my wife is only thirty six, but back it up, we're like we don't want to wait, we want to start. We we know like we're we're set in our career path, we're set we're set like this is the time to start it. So um, we did the normal natural pregnancy role, and um, we and you know announced it to her family that we were pregnant and it was you know we did the whole cute chalkboard and grandma grandpa we had a special dinner for the family and like uh elise is the oldest for her family so it was like it was we were the um first to get married first to have the kid like it was this pretty big to do and we really jumped the gun because we hadn't even we were just so freaking excited we hadn't had a heartbeat test yet and unfortunately like two weeks or three weeks after that announcement, we went in and there was no heartbeat. And so it was like, well, shit, that first of all, was like a bat to the gut. But then it was also the social bat to the gut because we had announced it. Therefore, then we kind of like owed everyone like, hey, by the way, we're gonna have a kid. Oh, wait, er, back up the car. No, we're not. And then that led to a discussion around fertility could have been an issue uh, for the family. So why don't you guys take this little flyer, go see your OBG, see if they have this recommendation to go see a fertility doc, just because like, you know, maybe, maybe you have an issue, maybe Elise has the issue, who knows, right? Um, not even thinking, I mean, I look back now, 20, uh, uh, hindsight being 2020, accepting that little flyer to go talk to HRC, which is Huntington Reproductive Center, both in Pasadena and also over in Rancho, that started a journey that is, you know, close to a quarter million dollars now in, in money spent six years, seven years of pain, but resulted in the most amazing, beautiful baby girl. You know what I mean? It was like, how much pain and suffering are you willing to go through to get the thing you want? And we were just willing, you know what I mean? It just, yeah. we were, and, and our immediate support group was just willing. So uh, we went down the road. We had the investigation. I got tested. My wife got tested. I mean, talk about testing, not just blood testing, but semen sample testing, like you name it, every kind of chronological or uh, uh, chromosomal test. We had chromosomal abnormality testing. We had blood lipid panel testing. We had gene mutation testing. I mean, we had every single test possible 
And they all came back with, you guys are fine. You should have no problem. Go ahead and keep trying to get pregnant right. on your own. So they, they kind of turned us away and was like, you're young, you're strong, you've got no issues, blah, blah, blah. Go have your kid. And there was miscarriage number two. And this one was an early miscarriage as well. So, I mean, it sucks to say like an early miscarriage is better than a late miscarriage, but yet they're both miscarriages. And they still have in a, physio- a physical, physiological, and emotional weight to them. And when you start stacking them one on top of the next, on top of the next, on top of the next, now you're like, it's like we smash a bug, you smash them deeper and deeper. And so all the guts, are, I mean, it's like six years later, there wasn't much left of my wife. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like she was just destroyed. And so we decided to go down the road and start flirting with the IUI IVF consideration. And so in part of that required an egg retrieval, which is, uh, you know, it's pretty invasive and she got sedated and they did an egg harvest. And it's kind of like, you want a lot of numbers up front because they got to, they have to kind of whittle down to the finish line. And so I want to say she's polycystic. And so she was able to retrieve a ton of eggs up front and through the maturation phase, I think we, I think the first time we retrieved 20 something, I don't know, like 20 eggs. And I think we ended up with five at the finish line that were like mature enough and able to be frozen and, you know, ready to go. And so we did two back-to-back IUIs that failed. So that's basically like, um, for those that don't know, an IUI is an assisted insemination where it, I mean, not to sound gross, by no means, definitely an unprofessional way to say it, but it's by some kind of an implantation mechanism, almost like a baster. Um, yep. the embryo is, is, is assisted to implant, uh, in, uh, uh, in the female. And so yep. it's our, it's our biological embryo. Uh, I mean, it's, I'm sorry, it's, it's our biological egg. Um, but let's just see if it works. And so of course those were huge hypes up, like they're only 7,500 bucks and you're, you know, it, it's highly likely that it's going to work. And so it's like, you know, you put 7,500 bucks on black and hope it lands on black and, you know, see if the financial. <laughs> In the financial side, and I'm sitting over here like doing the financial numbers. My wife is over here with her legs up in the air, like, hope this works, you know, and you're just oh, like, gosh, you know, so we're two naturals in now we're two IUIs in failed. And, you know, those one didn't take it all. One led to a pregnancy slash, uh, uh, no, actually I stand corrected. They both, they both took as full pregnancies and then failed down the road. And so, you know, we, we'd circle back with the directors of these fertility clinics, like, Hey, so what's the problem? What, you know, do we have to tweak the drug protocol? Cause you know, part of this required me to be doing injections on her every day and, uh, progesterone and estrogen. And those freaking needles are huge, man. I'll tell you what, she was a pin cushion for the better part of six years. And that was tough. I mean, even to the point where, you know, we got dropped off at Tuolumne Meadows one time and we had 11 days to hike through and do clouds rest and finish with, um, half dome and then out through little Yosemite and down towards Yosemite Valley. We take drugs with us, you know, so oh my gosh. we had a Pelican case of all of our needles and all of our drugs and we had to keep them cold every night. So we just, we dropped them in the lake every night and tied them to a stone. So her drugs wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't go down the river, but here we are. I got some great pictures I should send to you of us. You know, I sterilized a little, little rock outcrop on the side of the hill and lady Lisa out there and pulled her shorts down and gave her her injections in the, you know, the meaty fold of the glute. And uh, our friends were like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, this is progesterone and this is estrogen. And oh she has gosh. to have these injections every day at the right time or else it doesn't work. I mean, if you think about it, you're spending Insane. like seven to $15,000 a pop plus drugs. And if you mess it up, it, you just messed it up. It doesn't work. You don't get to slack. You don't get to take vacation. No. And if you do take vacations, you better take your drugs with you. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so needless to say, all those, um, all the little steps failed. And then we finally went to full IVF. And those, of course, resulted in pregnancies that then down the road resulted in uh, not successful live births. You know, and that, and I'm, 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 I'm kind of going fast and I have to dig down into that pain again because I feel that I'm, you know, so many years removed, but it's still just, it's really painful. I, I will share with you this story and a lot of people close to us, especially what, let me, let me say something real quick. Through those last few years, my coaching staff and my clientele were amazing. They were amazing. Even coaches today that I, they, I've moved on and they've moved on and like, we don't even see each other or talk you know, whatever. They were amazing. They would cover classes. They would cover clients. They would run operations. I mean, here I am juggling the gym, the coaches, the client, the staff development, the, you know, the, the whole thing, like gym owners listening, will get it. Like you're running a gym. That's huge. I walk home at night. I walk in after one of our, uh, after one of our losses and my wife is sitting on my, oh, mind you, we bought a house and we were remodeling the house, full remodel the house at the same time. So I got this empty living room. I, my, I, got, I, I walk in, my wife is sitting on the floor, tears, tears and makeup all down her face and the fire's going. I'm like, what do you got a freaking fire on for? She, she burned everything. She burned every piece of medical notes we had. She burned all the photos. She burned the congratulations card. She was literally burning in our fireplace wow. anything and everything to do with the last loss of the kid. And so all you could do is just wrap her up in your arms, mm-hmm. you know? And so maybe I'm like some other listeners, maybe they'll, they'll resonate with this. I'm the fixer. I want to fix all the things. I want to make all the most, pain go away. Most men. You know? Yes. Yeah. And so you can't fix this. You can't, you know, what do you do? You throw more money at it or you throw more time at it. You throw more resource at it. Okay. Well, then that's just another attempt. And so it's like a roller coaster that went on for six years. You climb, 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 climb. You get the congratulations, you're pregnant. And then you hold, 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 hold. Weeks one, two, three, five, six, eight, nine, 10, 13, 14, uh, <laughs> disaster, you know? So it's like, fuck, man. So I put out a post one day that we were, because we had explored adoption. We had actually, we had been exploring adoption for a long time, thinking that we would parallel IUIs, IVFs, and adoption to see if we were capable of being able to be sought by the state as a suitable family for adoption. And we saw the price points on the advertising, the marketing, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, this is, this is, this looks like a ripoff. I mean, it was that I remember the agent telling me, well, the more money you're willing to spend on your ad campaigns to showcase your family in a positive light, the more hits you're going to get on your family's oh my profile. Gosh. And I said, well, what do people spend? Like $5,000? She's like, oh, no, people will spend upwards of $100,000. And I went, I'm sorry, I, I need to get off the phone right now. Mind you, there was an 80-page document. It was like a PRQ or a PRC or something. And they were like, are you willing to accept drug babies or alcohol babies or nicotine babies? Or how about rape babies? Or how about rape babies where the mom knows it was a family member that raped them? So it's an in- incest rape baby. Or... How are you okay with it? And it was just like, dude, every page we went down in that document was like, I'm feeling like a fucking asshole for saying no to these no. things, but yeah. I'm not, I don't think I'm mentally and physically capable of what I'd be saying okay to. 
So I just like, I just like put that book aside. And I'm like, I don't think we can go down this road. I, I was freaked out. I was just, when we got to the rape chapter and I was just like, I'm over this, I, this process. I can't do this right now. You know? And then of course I wake up the next morning and tr- try to go in and teach the 6am class when you just cried through the rape chapter on adoption. I'm like, I, I, I can't do this with my wife right now. So, so you put on a smile and you're like, Hey, <laughs> we're teaching clean and jerk or snatch and rope climbs today. I mean, it was just so hard to pivot to go back and forth. Um, but, you know, so I, I decided to use the power of Facebook. And I said, I think I'm interested in having a discussion around surrogacy. Um, who knows about this? Who's inter- who, who has done it successfully? Or who can teach me? Where do I got to go? What do I need to do? What do I need to learn? Who do I need to talk to? And so a bunch of ladies, a bunch of women have started to reach out very privately. And a bunch of them had said, hey, our surrogate coordinator is local to you in the, in the San Gabriel Valley area. Um, and you know her. And you should reach out. And I said, I know her. Like I questioned if they knew who I really was. And so one emailed back real quick and she says, yeah, it's Trudy Atherton. Do you remember her? And I said, of course, when you hear the name Trudy, you might only know one or two Trudy's in <laughs> Not whole common. Life. Yeah. Right. Not common. So of course I remember Trudy Atherton and you know, she gets the ultimate praise and the ultimate thanks and the ultimate, like all of it. Trudy Atherton was a mom of a client that we had had years ago. And I mean, you know, 10 years earlier. So the backstory with her son, basically we worked with the local unified school district and that local unified school district had a hard time paying their bill. I'll just, I'm just going to leave it at that. They wanted to schluff the bill off on the parents for the training that we conducted. So, I mean, again, for those that don't know, we we owned a 15,000 square foot strength and conditioning facility that had a chance to train lots of high school teens. And, you know, at the end of the season, when you submit the bill for service, um, as I learned, you should probably capture some money up front. Uh, they weren't able to pay. And so uh, we had gone on the good graces of, okay, well, you know, then pay down the road kind of a thing. And Mind you, the, the principal felt horrible. The athletic director felt horrible. It just, it, it just didn't work right. And so we ended up having to walk away from that high school being unpaid for service. Um, but I had you know, I, I had seen a shining light in this uh, woman's son. He's a great wrestler and he needed work, um, but he was going somewhere. Like he had the physical capability. And so look, I said, I'll just train your kid. You know, let's just keep going. Regardless of whether the school district is going to pay or not, uh, your kids got promised. So, you know, I go home and I get screamed at for training someone for free. And I know that I probably shouldn't be training someone for free, but you know, whatever, we're going to keep training this kid. So as the story goes, the kid goes off and does super well and wins CIF and gets all this accolade and does the, you know, this amazing journey in life. And it's not, not because of training, but we were a mechanism that allowed him to enjoy the strength and conditioning aspect of wrestling. Well, that part of the story was never forgotten by the mom. And fast forward 10 years, that's the surrogate coordinator I'm sitting in front of. And she says, I've never had a way to thank you for what you did for my kid and for the team. And I'm going to use, I'll, I'll paraphrase, but, and if I'm mistaken and, you know, Trudy wants to kick my ass, she'll probably laugh at this, but she says, I do well professionally at what I do. And each year I'm authorized one pro bono case. Oh, no way. Year, she says this year, I'd like my pro bono case to go to the LeClaire family. Let's get you a baby. So she wow. waived, she was able to waive, not the full fee because the full fee was still pretty exorbitant, but she was able to waive her surrogate coordinator fee for us and we didn't have to pay for the process basically of finding a surrogate she was able to to coordinate uh, our match immediately 
And I mean, immediately, like some people have to wait forever to be matched. We had a surrogate in like five days. Wow. What a blessing. Talk about, you know, it's funny. My wife used to tell me all the time, you know, uh, the gym is a headache and it's, you know, sometimes it's a financial burden and people don't give a shit and they freaking hate you and nobody pays their bill. Like, so she would always harp on the bad things. This was the first time she was like, holy shit, this is amazing. I can't believe that this happened, you know? And so 10 years later, somebody comes back and is like, man, you helped me out. I'd love to help you out. And yeah. so it was, pre- it was pretty huge. Yeah. So we marched down the road with the surrogate. Uh, unfortunately, the first implantation was a failure. Uh, she did get pregnant, but it didn't last. And so we were like, well, shit, this is business as usual. We were so cold and so like scientific at that point. It was almost like par for the course. We were like, ah, it'll fail, whatever. You know, we just wasted time and money again. But uh, Trudy was like, no, no, no. We bought a guaranteed package, which hadn't been offered to us six years earlier. In the state of California, you can buy, based on the insurers, you can buy a guaranteed life contract. It's ridiculously expensive. But what it really means is if it, however many embryos you have, they will just keep implanting in surrogates until you get a baby. And so baby insurance is like, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's like baby insurance. Yeah, exactly. So second round went and it went and it went and it went and it went. And sooner than later, we were in uncharted territory. We were pregnant past the point with which we had never been pregnant before. And then we were further pregnant. And then we were getting heartbeats. I mean, well, we had already gotten heartbeats, obviously. And then we went in for like the week 12 and the week 14, and the week 18, and the week 20. And we were, you know, we graduated from the fertility clinic and we were passed off uh, to a pediatrician. And we were, you know, it's like every step of the way, it was like, dude, we had such guarded optimism. We were so like, believe it or not, I was kind of like, this is too good to be true. It's going to freaking fail. We've never been here before. It's been six and a half years. So my wife will always say that this whole process really robbed us of the joy because we were so scared in that final journey that we were like, oh, something's going to go wrong. So like every time the surrogate got sick or she had like a bladder infection or, you know, she had peed hot, not on a drug test, she'd peed hot on her on her gestational diabetes test, uh, you know, it was like every step of the way, we're like, that's it, we're done. We're done. We're going to lose. Like we were so jaded until November 27th when our daughter was born. Yeah. You, you must have literally not counted it as done Real. until it was done. Right. And well, by the way, um, we had requested that she was, so we had 11 embryos. I think we had five, uh, six, what is it? Six girls and five boys or other way around five girls and six boys. To to know that ahead of time means you can implant what you desire. And I said, no way, no way, no way, no way. I'm not going to play this. Like we're already sciencey enough. I don't want to implant on purpose, implant blind. I don't want to know. I want to, the only surprise we're going to have in this entire process is whether it's to be surprised in the delivery room, whether it's a boy or a girl. And so, you know, marching down the road, I was like, it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a girl. And everybody else, no, it's a boy. So like that sounds so insignificant but yet it was the only thing we had that wasn't known yeah so here yeah. so here we are the surrogate you know is delivering and the delivery so she was you know a bit sedated i think she's medicated or you know whatever her husband was there with her we were in the delivery room this was pre-covid obviously so we could all be there together and uh the baby's delivered and they're doing all the like the, this from from the moment of delivery seconds later 
eight seconds later, 16 seconds later, 30 seconds later, now we hear the cry, you know, they're, they're like rubbing and in, like intubating, like getting all the fluid out of, we still didn't know. So we're like yelling across the room, is it a boy or a girl? Well, the entire staff thought we knew it was a girl because they thought we had already known based on the ultrasound and so on. And the doc looks over and is like, it's a girl. As if like, hey, dummy, didn't you know it was a girl? And <laughs> I melted because my whole hope was to have a girl. And so, yeah. of course, we had a girl. And my, my wife's like, no, 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 it's a boy. You're wrong. You're wrong. It's a boy. And they're like, no. And they held the baby up and it was a girl. Pretty obvious you know, at that point. So, yeah. Pre- yeah, yeah, pretty obvious it's a girl. You know, so Now you have Eleanor. Eleanor Francis LeClaire. Yeah, born 11-27-2019. Uh, and she's eight months old now? Is that right? She'll be eight months. Yeah, she'll be eight months in a couple weeks. Yeah, and she's absolutely incredibly what? adorable. Oh, like, you're so, you're so she, she, <laughs> you send me, you, well, you send me pictures and I'm like, oh my gosh, Kim, you got to see this. And, um, so we, we live a little vicariously through that. We have two boys. So, you know, we, we live the life of boy, dad, boy, mom. Yeah. And, yep. um, and so, yeah, I mean, what, like, you know, we, I think every man and woman, when they have a kid, they don't understand the brevity of it till it happens and it hits right. like a massive wave and you have this huge, you know, weight, uh, uh, relief and weight, because all of a sudden now that life is responsible. You're, res- you're 100% responsible for that life. Oh, I can't dude, even imagine sure. at this, at this level, <laughs> what you guys are going through. Well, I, let me tell the, the last little piece of it, not to like continue to pile on the drama, but so, so we're pregnant. I'm well, the surrogate's pregnant. Mind you, it's so funny. I should, I, let me tell you this funny thing, Clark. So one client didn't necessarily understand and, and probably, and by, you know, no, uh, no disrespect to anyone that doesn't know it. He brought it up in the funniest way. So he, he pulls me aside at the gym one day and he's like, Hey, so, uh, what's your wife think about this? And I'm like, think about what? He's like, well, you guys are having a kid, right? I said, yeah. Cause it was obviously it was public. And so he's like, well, this surrogacy thing, he's like, isn't your wife kind of like a little, doesn't she think it's awkward? I'm like, what? And mind you, I'm still like not understanding what he's getting at. It's like, well, didn't you have to sleep with that other chick? Oh, and I said, oh no. <laughs> I said, no, dude, that's not how it works. I'm like, the kid is biologically us, ours. He's like, wait, what? How does that work? So I got to walk him through that whole story. And he's like, well, now I feel stupid. I thought that you were just hooking up with that other chick and having some other one's kid. I was like, no, dude, (laughs) that's, that happened in the Bible, in the Bible. Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. No. Well, I think a lot of people don't understand what surrogacy or in in vitro is. And, and, um, you know, you're, you're dumped into this learning experience, like without any knowledge, you know, it's like from zero to 90 really fast. Cause Oh, right. You have a baby. Yeah. So so, I mean, obviously we're pregnant, our sister gets pregnant and we're marching along and, um, you know, our life, my wife and I's life still continues. And so she happens to tell me that she's missed her period. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and so, I mean, knowing this, that none of our natural pregnancies have come to term ever successful. I'm like, dude, our surrogate's going to be pregnant it's going to be successful. You're pregnant. It's not going to be successful. This is horrible. And so we're like, we're like laughing in our luck. Like, of course, of all the times that Elise would get pregnant, it would be when the surrogate's pregnant. 
And mind you, they were only off by two weeks, Whoa. which means if they were successful, we would have had Eleanor. And two weeks later, Elise would have had, you know, who, whomever, what, what, like, whatever that would have looked like. And so we're like, shit, do we tell anyone? Do we tell her mom and dad yet? Do we tell my parent? Like, or maybe we just keep this quiet. And if it ends up being a miscarriage, we just don't tell anyone yeah. at all. So in our mind, I think you might even know this. In our mind, we just were like, we're going to be quiet about it until it's really real, like week 10, you know, week 12, whatever. So I'm coming home from the gym. I see that I've missed a couple of phone calls from Elise. So I call her back. I get nothing. I call her back again. I get nothing. I'm like, all right, well, maybe her phone's dead. She calls me back. She's like, babe, babe, I'm in the ER. I'm like, what? Why? What happened? Who's there? She goes, I'm there. Self-admitted. I'm like, why? She goes, I'm bleeding down my leg. Bleeding. I've driven to the hospital. I'm like, okay, I'm coming right now. She had a ruptured ectopic. Yeah. And it was like seconds away from full-blown rupture, which would have led to like this catastrophic, you know, whatever. So anyway, we, I mean, I'm, here I'm saying so anyway. I mean, it was horrible in the moment. She gets to the ER. Her mom shows up. I show up. The doctor's like, we need to go immediate surgery right now. She ends up getting you know, two thirds of a fallopian tube removed. She gets the ectopic, the, the ectopic pregnancy removed. I mean, it was just talk about horrible. So they, you know, they had like a little, um, uh, like the two little holes, uh, in her like lower abdomen to conduct the removal of tissue and the, the wow. pregnancy. And, uh, I'm just going to say this. What a dick. The doc comes out and immediately behind saying, Hey, by the way, your wife is in recovery. The ectopic removal was successful, um, but it had a heartbeat. What? And I was like, dude, did you have to say that last piece? And so it was like, it was obviously the pregnancy was growing outside of where yeah. it would have to have had to be viably successful. It would have ended in a horrible rupture, full blown on like blood transfusion, all this non, I mean, walked down the road to where it could have been you know, the doc really exaggerated, I think, how horrible it was. But then he brings out these like 4K, like full HD photos of like her whole region full of blood. Like, I'm like, I don't need to see those. Her mom doesn't need to see those right now. Thanks a lot, asshole. I didn't need to hear that it had a heart. Yeah, he, so, he, he definitely was not uh, bedside manner yeah. trained. <laughs> yeah, none. Zero. So, I mean, so that happened. And they're like, oh, it's just an ectopic pregnancy removal. She'll be fine. She can be back to work in 48 hours. Oh, because we care about work. Right. Well, three weeks later, she's still on the couch, fully bloated, fully medicated, I, like all of it. I mean, it was probably one of the most. And you know, my wife, I mean, she went from being competitive 63 kilo weightlifter and competitive swimmer. Yeah. At a body weight. Let's say, let's say she hung around and this is got to. It's going to sound so insignificant, but I'm going somewhere with it. She would be competitive at a weight of around 140, maybe 145. She came out of this so physically damaged, so destroyed. I mean, I think I want to say her body weight ended up around 195, 190-ish, but medicated and it, like recovering from surgery. It just, it hurt her in more ways than what the scale said. It hurt her. Physically, physiologically, like I said, emotionally, socially, there were so many layers to this last six years who cared about the weight. And so it's like she would cry about the scale, and but then she'd cry about her work clothes not fitting. And then yeah. she'd cry that she would never clean and jerk competitively again. 
and she would cry that she never wanted to get in the pool and do mommy and me because her body is dead. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so I'm again, trying to be like, I love you and I care for you. None of those things matter. But then like, how do you tell an athlete that none of those things matter? And you, you know, can't like, fix it by the way. And you can't. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. here we are, you know, Eleanor's going to be eight months. We're working towards being a full and have love for our daughter. Um, but there's definitely, we've been carved out. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there has definitely been some stuff taken from us. That will probably never been, never be able to be replaced. Yeah. So like, absolutely. Um, kind of a tragic with, with a good ending. I mean, you know, right. you have Eleanor right. and, um, I, I have a feeling the story isn't this, this story hasn't completely unfolded. I'm sure there's more. Right. And, right. um, so it kind of, I kind of want to bring this full circle because we've really covered quite a bit of, of, uh, stuff. Yeah. of stuff and it fits right in. And this is kind of a self-promotion. It fits right in the father framework that we have. Faith is first. And we didn't really touch on that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we could probably spend an hour on that alone. Um, right. ability. We, we obviously tribe was huge for you guys, your tribe, your, your gym, your oh, family. Dude. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. Massive. And, and, and then resources is the R and I, I, you know, obviously you guys have used your resources. You have, uh, created resources for yourself. I, I'm just yep. so blown away. The fact that you are, um, able to love and pour the attention into your daughter. And now you're in 2020, the year of absolute disaster. So far. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so what's, what's next for the LeClaire family? I mean, we could, I, I, I honestly feel like we could go another hour or two on this alone, but, but I know that you didn't just sell your house. Uh, you, you have a plan. Like right. what's your plan and why? So, um, in the interim between selling the gym and selling our house, we had this space with which we had to finally make our decision because it was, you know, part one was the gym, part two was the house because inevitably we're going to be leaving the state of California uh, and we're, we're moving to Tennessee. And so we had to offload everything with the appropriate time at the appropriate price point to make things work so that we could, su you know, support what it is that we wanted to do when we get there. And so obviously, you know, the gym came first, uh, Eleanor came second, selling our house was third. Our real estate agent was phenomenal. Not only did he do exactly what it is that we wanted to do, but he did it in a, you know, half the time frame that our contract went through. So, I mean, it was just spectacular. And now we are on this kind of, we're on this um, very fluid ground. We have one little project to wrap up. Um, I'll, maybe I'll let that be part two of our discussion down the road if we do yeah. the podcast again. But uh, we have one little project to wrap up and then we are gone. We are out of here. Um, we are pro you know, we thought we were going to haul our stuff across the country and, you know, moving a house, putting half the house, you know, shit more than half, putting 75% of our house in storage. And, you know, very kindly and lovingly, Elisa's family is letting us crash with them uh, until we get ready to bounce. But um, putting half, uh, putting 75% of the house in storage, trying to live with a brand new baby and two dogs in a room. I think we're in, you know, like a 300 square foot room. We've replicated her nursery in a different room, but we're kind of hanging out. Um, I think we're going to pod everything and ship it and then just spend a week or more driving cross country, really enjoying the, 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 like the, the travel time with the dogs, you know, with our daughter, 
um, and just exploring, you know, everything along the 40 East until we get into the Nashville area. Um, but I am just, I'm in love with the South. I spent, you know, I had three main bases that I spent time with both Benning, Lewis and Bragg, uh, with Fort Benning being in Georgia and, uh, Fort Bragg being in North Carolina and Tennessee is just, it's just beautiful. Uh, and it's the, the, the landscape is beautiful. The, the water availability, the, the rivers and the lakes are beautiful. Everyone that I've met there, both business owner, uh, former military, the church, like everyone has just been the default in Tennessee is polite, which is not the default of Southern California, let alone Los Angeles. No. Um, and so we have spent a lot of this time researching, we whittled it down. We, we'd, we'd spend a lot of our time traveling, but more importantly, we spent a lot of time researching where we wanted to end up and Tennessee, Tennessee won. And, uh, from a professional standpoint, from a resource standpoint, from a family standpoint, from a church standpoint, from a school district standpoint, like we're just, we're ready to go. So very maybe exciting. the next, maybe, maybe the next time we get on the podcast, whether we're talking, uh, work or family you know it's it's probably going to be me calling in from the outskirts of nashville we're looking at franklin area thompson station area oh yeah Um, nice so it's just going to be yeah that's where we're going to end up yeah i would commend you one i would i want to you probably have had confirmation but the pod moving via pod and and taking your time and driving and enjoying that process absolutely a thumbs up it's a little more expensive maybe but there's so much uh, uh, comfort in doing it that way, and and you're going to experience the trip. So I think that's absolutely incredible. So I, I have a few questions just to kind of wrap this up, put a bow yeah, on man. it. Your um, Eleanor is the ninth kid, the ninth, yeah. and the first yep. to survive. Yep. Um, what advice? And, and I have this is kind of a loaded question, but what would be what would you say to a father who is walking his wife? Um, through a miscarriage, which is traumatic. One is we, Kim and I went through this. It's massively traumatic. It's, it's the loss of life. Yep. Um, so what and at, would you at any, at, I don't even care if it's week one or week 12 no, or week does, 15 does not or matter. week 20. Right. Nothing. Yeah. 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 So what would you say to, to any guy going through that? I mean, you're, you obviously went through massive waves with your wife and, uh, yeah. and kept your marriage together. Kudos because I think that would destroy 90% of the marriages out there. Man. Um, well, going into it, obviously you got to know how to love your wife, how to love her through it. Um, obviously each woman is going to be different in her needs. So as much as you want to love on and hold, you got to provide the space for her to grieve and the time for her to grieve at her level, not at your level. That's good. So it, it's on her and you need to be there to support her. You can't rush it. You can't talk it. You can't fight it. You can't push it and you can't pull it. None of those things work. It, as a matter of fact, I, I fucked up on all those because I tried to push her through it and pull her through it early on. And none of that worked. No. Um, it's a lot of tears and a lot of hugs, you know, it's, um, and that might sound so basic. Um, we journaled through a lot of it. And that was helpful for us to reflect back. Um, we would say to each other, don't let the pilot light go out. And we would check in on each other. You know, to be honest, and this is going to sound funny because I, it, by no means am I trying to turn this around on me. It wasn't until almost like 
year three that she was like, how are you feeling? Yeah. I I was like, oh yeah, me. I see you're going to, you're going to end up forgetting about yourself because you've got to be all things to her through the process, but also not forget about your, so have, have the avenue with which you, I'd say, thank God I had the gym. Thank God I had my coaches. Thank God I had the outlet of being able to turn it off for a minute and go do something else and then come back. And what do you need? How can I help? Where do, where do I need to be in this moment? Um, that's it. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time. I think we want to carry this on another time. I think we need to hear the continuation of this because I know there's more to this story and, um, it's still probably unraveling. Oh, for sure. We'll put all of your resources in the podcast notes. So the listeners can find out about you, um, you know, and, and, uh, let you, decide the depth of that. But uh, thank you for sharing your story and thank Elise for allowing you to share your story. And if she doesn't know that you did, you better let her know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily she doesn't have Facebook. So, you know, wherever this gets distributed, I'll tell her. It's funny. We've been on so many different podcasts and, you know, both for work and, oh yeah, uh, you know, my work now, our old work, you know, what we've done before. She's like, again, why are you talking again? You know, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I don't. but no to be honest with you this is the first time we've really had a chance to dive into surrogacy so thank you for not being hey. afraid to have this discussion and share it with those i mean i'm going to tell you right now i guarantee you on the fatherhood i mean a brotherhood of fatherhood page some i guarantee you there's one at least one you know dad out there or soon to be dad out there that's struggling with this so for those yeah. that are listening if you are struggling man reach out like yeah call me, text me, email me, Facebook me, Instagram me. Like, let's, let's talk this through. That's what this is about. Like, you know, men try to do things alone and you've, and it's just, it's ridiculous. Like you, 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 like you got to humble yourself and learn from others that have been down that path. So I would encourage that as well. Well, thank you, Eric. I I really appreciate it. And give your um, wife and Eleanor a squeeze on behalf of the brotherhood, man. I will. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. Uh, What a great story from Eric LeClaire. And I would hope that you would just go ahead and hit that subscribe button right now because there's going to be more. Uh, We'll have Eric back to share more. We have other amazing stories from men just like you, ordinary men who've done extraordinary things and, and we've all experienced things in our lives that others should hear and learn from. And if you are new to us, go to Facebook and subscribe to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood page where you'll get updates on our podcast releases that come out every Tuesday and Thursday. And then go and search Brotherhood of Fatherhood group. That's where you get to kind of dig into and ask questions of other men and um, reach out to people like Eric or post your your struggles in a very safe Um, private place where other men will pour some knowledge into you. If you are finding yourself in life and wondering if you have to be, um, quite honestly, if you have to be a shitty dad, if you feel like you are not succeeding as a father or as a husband and you just are worried about that or you see yourself going down this path and you have no guide, um, Josh Price and myself, the founders of the Brotherhood of Fatherhood, have walked men through this. And we've walked men through this with success. And 
what we would like you to do is reach out to one of us. We, you can message us in our Facebook group, Scott Ramage or Josh Price. You can email us, Scott at brotherhoodfatherhood.com or Josh at brotherhoodfatherhood.com. But we literally specializing in helping men not be shitty fathers. And honestly, a huge part of that is not being a bad husband. We, we know that those two are absolutely intertwined or a bad boyfriend or a bad fiance or a bad life partner, but reach out to us, subscribe, subscribe to our Facebook group, leave a review on our podcast. We'd love to get a five-star review and reach out to us and take advantage of the tools that we have put together to help you be the best father and the best husband so that you can leave a lasting legacy.